are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. We've made it to the end of the week. And guess what else that means? No more days between us and media days, at least no more weekdays. The next show that we have, we're going to be on Radio Row in Birmingham, Alabama. That's what I was going to say. If you were going to ask how I was doing, I was like, I'm li- I'm living my best life now, man. I'm just riding a high because there are no more work days between me and SEC Media Days. I could not be more excited to be in Birmingham at Radio Row, man. I'm just so hyped up. That day one will feature LSU, Florida, South Carolina. There's going to be no shortage of excitement. I think some of the most fun days, and I'm glad these two teams are grouped together, LSU and Florida, whichever day they're on, Even if they're separated, those are always fun days. Dan Mullen has had a couple of fun media days. I remember a couple years ago when he was wearing those sweet kicks, those sweet sneakers that he had. I wanted to buy some. I didn't, but still, the customized Florida shoes that he he was wearing was outstanding. Then, of course, Ed Orgeron's always a good time when he's repping LSU because that guy loves his program, loves his school. Go Tigers. How, how do you think he's going to open that press conference? Go Tigers. Just, hey, everybody, go Tigers. <laughs> so that's going to be, it's going to be a fun Monday. Radio Row, SEC Media Days. Make sure you keep up with us all week long, Monday through Thursday. We're going to be there all week, 2 to 4 p.m. So make sure you tune in for our show. We're going to have a lot of great content. We're going to be keeping everybody up to date with what was going on throughout the day, what people said. You know, any trash talk, whatever's going on in SEC Media Days, we're going to keep you up to date with what everybody had to say. We're going to have some great sound bites, hopefully some great interviews as well. So keep up to date with that by listening on the line from 2 to 4 p.m. And if you miss it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to start off today's show with our Auburn football schedule analysis series. Wrapping it up, this is it. This is the final time that we talk about it, my man. We didn't get to this yesterday, but... Looking at Auburn's schedule as a whole, what is a game Auburn could trip up in, but they shouldn't, right? A a game that Auburn should win, but if you're looking at matchups and breaking this down, and I'm not talking about necessarily sneaky teams or always who's the best team and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying, which is a game that Auburn could trip up in, but they shouldn't trip up in it? I think for this question... It's good to look at all of the road games Auburn plays because of Nix's struggles in the past uh, away from Jordan-Hare Stadium. And those games on Auburn's schedule are Penn State, LSU, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and South Carolina. According to ESPN's FBI, which is somewhat of a joke but is still interesting to look at, Auburn's favored in two of those games according to the FBI, Arkansas and South Carolina. And if Auburn's not offense has not taken the step that they need to, and I know that you and I have said on this show before that everybody loves to pencil this game I'm about to talk about as a trap game, but nobody really knows why. I think that Arkansas is the game that Auburn could potentially trip up in, but shouldn't. Auburn uh, was taken down to the wire by Arkansas in 2020. Arkansas probably should have won that game. 
And I think the most decisive factor in that Arkansas game in terms of them being competitive against Auburn, other than Auburn shooting itself in the foot offensively, was Felipe Franks. 22 of 30 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. I think his replacement, K.J. Jefferson, won't be bad, but I think he'll be competent. Throw in the fact that it's on the road, Bo Nix has been struggling on the road, and Arkansas brings back some receivers that intrigue me in a backfield that I think could be above average, and it could get interesting. The defense for Arkansas is terrible. You and I have talked about that. It's bad, like really bad. But that's another reason why Auburn could trip up, even though they shouldn't. The Razorbacks have a solid linebacking core. With so many starters returning, even though they're terrible, they could surprise somebody, and that somebody could be Auburn. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you could give your thoughts to us here on On the Line. What's a trap game for Auburn? That's essentially what we're talking about. What's the trap game on this schedule? My main issue with Arkansas at the moment is I, I dig in deep to the matchups here. I think this front seven, and I'll even include the linebackers in this, I think that the linebackers get a big boost statistically because of how abysmal this defensive line is they are not a good run stopping unit Auburn is going to be able to go on the road against Arkansas and they're going to be able to just run the football they're going to be able to be in their comfort zone they're going to be able to execute their scheme the way that they want to I actually think it's a really good matchup when you look at what Arkansas likes to do on both sides of the football, it actually fits really well into what Auburn's strengths are. I totally get it, though. If Auburn's 0-2 in SEC play after LSU and Georgia, then I think you're looking at this game being a struggle without a doubt because Arkansas is going to see this and probably give Auburn their best shot as, man, we, we could steal one here. And then on top of that, you're going to already get their best effort because of the way that last season ended, right? Yeah. But Auburn's been hearing all of that noise as well. So I think Auburn's even going into this game not sleeping going into it right so I looked for a game on this schedule where I was like well where could Auburn possibly be sleeping where could Auburn possibly go into a game asleep and it's actually kind of hard to find a game where Auburn's going to be asleep and we're talking about games here that are trap games that Auburn should win but they might trip up in so that kind of like excludes A&M Alabama LSU Georgia Penn State all those games and it leaves you with Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. And you have to choose one of those. And I don't think Auburn's going into any of those games sleeping. The team that I'm choosing here as a trap game for Auburn, and, and, and part of it, why, why I don't even feel great about choosing this one, is the fact that Auburn has a bye week before it. Mm-hmm. And nobody's sleeping coming off of a bye week. They're going to be fully focused you on sleep Ole during Miss. during the bye week. Right. Now, with that being said, Auburn may be rusty. Auburn, that that might be a factor that plays into it, but Auburn's going to be focused on Ole Miss. I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to look ahead of Ole Miss to Texas A&M because even at that point in the season, I think you're probably evaluating Ole Miss and Texas A&M as the same type of caliber team. Ole Miss very well should probably be a top 25 team at that point in the year or at least be on the cusp of it. So I don't think that they're sleeping going into it, but I still think it's a team that Auburn should beat. They're on a five-game win streak at the moment against Ole Miss. Traditionally, Auburn dominates this series against Ole Miss. This is a team that Auburn should expect to beat. And I've said that throughout this week. I've said that throughout the summer. I've said that throughout the spring. Auburn should expect to beat Ole Miss. And I believe Auburn's a more complete team than Ole Miss. But when I was looking for criteria for Auburn to trip up in, you're spot on at saying Bonick struggles on the road. There's even also a split, though, that says Bo Nix struggles against ranked teams. Just struggles against good competition over these years. Now, I think he improves a bit in that category this year. I think we get a better Bo Nix this season. 
But there's one thing that can be said about Ole Miss that is different than Arkansas. Ole Miss is going to be able to put pressure on Auburn on the scoreboard. And if Bo Nix is forced into a situation where he has to keep up on the scoreboard, say the defense does it, say Ole Miss walks in there and does what they did to Alabama last year, scoring without scoring without remorse, scoring without without any type of restriction, are able to drop, able to get into the 40s. I don't know if I trust Auburn to win in a in a shootout. I don't know if this team yet, and we haven't seen them yet. They could be built to do it, but I don't know if this team is built to win shootouts. I think they're going to be a much slower tempo than maybe what we were accustomed to or what Gus Malzahn was trying to sell the fan base. And Bo Nix has not shown the ability to really outgun other good teams on his schedule. That's why I went with Ole Miss here. They're a good football team. I still think Auburn should expect to win the game, but I went with it being a trap game, mainly because I think Ole Miss can put enough pressure on Auburn on the scoreboard to where that could create mistakes for Auburn on the offensive side of the ball if they try and force the issue and then you end up losing a very close ball game right uh like 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 you said you know there there are no games on this schedule at least in conference play where Auburn should be sleeping like there shouldn't be a game where they walk into and it could be a potential trap that's a benefit for Auburn too though I like the way and and folks complained about that LSU was the first SEC game on the road and then you had to go and play Georgia after that guess what that's what you get for taking Georgia out at the end of the season. There's too many good SEC teams. Eventually, you are going to have two great teams butt up against each other on the schedule. But I like how this schedule is oriented. I think you get Penn State at a good time in the non-conference schedule to be able to have you amply prepared for LSU on the road to open up the SEC season. I think the non-conference schedule does enough to prepare Auburn for that first road game. Then you got to play Georgia. Now, that is tough, but it's going to be tough playing Georgia regardless of where they're at on your schedule. And then after that, those first three games, they're tough, but I like the fact that they are not going to be lulled to sleep by any part of this schedule. Right, right. Uh, something I, that I, doesn't have any impact on this season, but I think it's interesting, at least to, to to look at, is that Alabama gave up 48 to Ole Miss. Auburn gave up 28, and both of those games were in Oxford. I just just want to just want Auburn has talent, <laughs> man. Auburn has talent. They should the games that they are favored in this season they should win, and then they should also sneak up on a couple of teams that people don't necessarily think they should beat, even though they have pretty good track records against them. I think Auburn has a better football team than Ole Miss in every way with the exception of one position. That's quarterback. Matt Corral is is a much better quarterback than Bo Nix, and that's obvious based off of what we've seen up to this point. Ole Miss lost a lot of production at wide receiver, but I'll say that Ole Miss's track record at producing receivers, even after they lose that production, maybe you could say they have a better receiver room than Auburn at this point. And and you know what? I'll I'll give the edge to them in the receiver room as well. So they got a better quarterback, they got better receivers, but Auburn's better than Ole Miss at 75% when you compare these rosters. But what scares me the most about this game is can Bo Nix, if he was put into a situation where he had to outgun Matt Corral, would he be able to do that? And I, I would say probably not, right? Yeah. Because Matt Corral's just that good. Yeah. So that's a position that Auburn will desperately need to avoid when they play Ole Miss on this schedule. Fortunately, they do get a bye week to prepare for that. And that that could nullify this as a trap game for me. I, it was very hard for me to find a trap game on Auburn's schedule because I don't think that there is a stretch of games at all where you can fall asleep and still you know avoid losses and whatnot so let's move to the second point here and wrapping up our Auburn football schedule analysis series who is a team that Auburn could upset most likely upset candidate for Auburn football and I believe that you and I share a similar opinion on this in our minds we don't think 
that LSU is going to be that great this year. And we think Auburn has a shot in that game in Baton Rouge. But I think the majority of the country would probably say that LSU is going to be favored in that game come October 2nd. And ESPN's FPI only gives Auburn a 45% chance to win that. The early betting lines have Auburn or LSU favored by 6.5, according to BetMGM. So it's going to be a game that Auburn's not favored in. And it's a, it's a place that Auburn has not won in since 1999. But if there is a game that Auburn could come into and they could come out of it the 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 upset team I think it's against LSU uh, Auburn may have one of the deepest secondaries in all of college football LSU is going to force themselves to throw throw the ball behind an average offensive line because they can't run the football uh, effectively LSU couldn't stop anything defensively in 2020 and if Auburn's offense is going to become more efficient in the pass, passing game like this like this coaching staff expects it to Auburn could just tear them up in yards and yards per play if Brian Harson wants Auburn to be competitive and he wants the fa- to prove to the fan base that Auburn's going to be better as a team moving forward, he's going to need to have this type of game where he upsets an LSU, a Penn State, or Georgia, or even a Texas A&M on the road. Uh, but I think this LSU game could be one where Auburn shocks some folks. I think Penn State is an upsettable team. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me wonder if Auburn upsets Penn State, is Auburn all of a sudden viewed as a major underdog to the other two candidates in SEC play that I was looking at, which would be LSU and Texas A&M. And I think by the time Auburn gets to College Station in November, that may not be a situation where Auburn is viewed as the underdog, at least with the way that we've looked at A&M, brand new offensive line, brand new quarterback. Maybe by that point in the season, Auburn is no longer viewed as the underdog, and I actually think that that will be how it shakes out. The LSU game, Auburn still may be viewed as an underdog, even if they beat Penn State. But I'm going to go with Penn State being the team. You and I, not high up on this offensive line, not high up on this quarterback. Sean Clifford last year was not a very good QB. Only completed 60.6% of his passes, 16 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Sounds like Bo Nix, right? And then he's got an even worse, I think arguably an even worse offensive line in front of him when you look at the fact that they allowed 28 sacks last season in 9 games. Yep. And, uh, and and Clifford is three and three against top twenty five teams, and that's in Big Ten play. And he's one in three as a starter when throwing for over three hundred yards. One in three. When this guy has a good game, the rest of the team suffers. Whenever they are forced to throw the football, they have a really hard time. And if Auburn can stop the run early against Penn State, that could be a game where Auburn comes out with a win. Another nightmare candidate type of note here to say about Penn State for their offensive line. Running game. Their leading rusher only averaged 4.9 yards per carry as a team last year. This is atrocious. This is like Akron-level atrocious, but I have to give them a little bit more credit considering they're in the Big Ten, but 3.9 yards per carry as a team offensively. It's bad if you're averaging less than than like 4.5, 4.6. This team was below 4, sitting at 3.9 yards per carry. That was their worst mark since 2014 as a team, and it really wasn't even comparable to the previous two, three seasons where they were averaging 4.8, 5.1, and 4.9. This offensive line can't run block very well, can't pass block very well. If this team can't establish the run against Auburn, which I don't think that they're going to be able to consistently, then you're going to put even more pressure on Sean Clifford, who was mistake-prone last year, threw a lot of interceptions, considering they only played a nine-game season. Turnover margin last year for Penn State, minus eight. Yeah, they gave up. They also fumbled the ball a lot. 
and uh, and it, it led to the defense uh, uh, being put in really some really tough situations because I believe their field position margin was really really bad as well. So they were turnover prone. They couldn't establish the run game, and it gave their defense fits. And if Auburn's going to become more efficient, if they're working with sh- uh, short fields like that, if they are able to cause some of those turnovers with such a deep secondary, Auburn could offensively. I'm not saying like look elite against Penn State, but they're definitely going to have some favorable opportunities to score. So when I look at Penn State, I see so many issues on that offensive side of the ball. Now, of course, this will be a very tough environment to play in. Probably a wideout game. You've seen videos of how loud it is. The place is rocking, literally. It will be a tough road environment. But if Auburn can reach 26, 28 points, something like that, I think they win the football game. Yeah, I think I think they do do as well. Honestly, I can see I can I can see Auburn getting to that point and getting a little past that. I'm not saying Auburn's going to score 40, but I think uh, just based off of what happened to Penn State last year and based on what th- what these both teams both of these teams have coming back, based on their styles of play, I think it is a, a pretty favorable favorable matchup for Auburn, especially if a couple of things go their way they their way early. Then a four and Auburn team going to take Ooh. on LSU. That'll be a fun game, and I think LSU would be. Looking at LSU's schedule, I would say they'd be 4-0 going into that game as well. I know you think LSU could be upset by UCLA, as do I. I think I think LSU beats UCLA, edges them out tight. But I, I, I think both of these teams are 4-0 going into the Tiger Bowl in Baton Rouge. And then maybe it's time for <laughs> a return of the favor from 2018 when Auburn felt really good about themselves going into that ball game at home and then lost it. Maybe it's time to return the favor to an LSU team that could end up having the same type of trajectory that that 2018 Auburn team did. Felt really good, was a top 10 team. I think LSU will probably be a top 10 team yeah. by that point with as high as everybody seems to be on LSU during this offseason. LSU be a top 10 team, Auburn somewhere around like 15 through 20, somewhere in there maybe at that point going into that ballgame, maybe just barely outside the top 20. And then Auburn goes in there, takes the win in Baton Rouge. And you could see this LSU team trend down to be like an eight and four squad, like we talked about. Yeah, I plan on being at that game. It's going to be my first road game uh, watching Auburn play. So really excited to see that atmosphere. And the reason I'm going is because I believe it's a game that Auburn can win. Good luck, my man. Good, Good luck. luck. That's a hostile environment. <laughs> it's going to be tough, but I think it's possible. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can get your thoughts to us here on On the Line. We want to know what you think about Auburn's schedule this year. Who's the trap game? Who's the upset? Who's Auburn going to pull an upset against this year if you had to choose one? If you had to choose one for each of those categories. I, I felt like it was very difficult to find a trap game with the way that the schedule is oriented. But I think that there are a couple teams that Auburn could upset, especially early. I'm going to call Dylan out. He said Georgia State is a trap game during the break. I just wanted to throw that out there. If y'all want to give your thoughts on that, please call or text in. I would appreciate it. You are too high up on the fun belt, man. Don't sleep on it. You can't sleep on the fun belt. I understand. They're a couple years removed. Tennessee's lost to Georgia State on the same year Tennessee went 8-5. and If Auburn goes in not taking Georgia State seriously, Auburn could lose. That Georgia State team is good for a Sunbelt squad. Yeah, yeah. And I said jokingly over the break, it's like 8-5 and after that. Well, then maybe that's what Auburn needs is a Georgia State loss to become the catalyst for a a Georgia win or, or an Alabama win or something like that. But in all seriousness, like Georgia State's good, but Auburn 
should take care of business. 100%. I'll say this, too, about Georgia State real quick, and I was doing Lark behind the board for us today. I'll say this about Georgia State. The schedule may not be oriented for Auburn to be sleeping on many of its SEC teams, but maybe maybe this is a game that I overlooked that Auburn could be sleeping going into considering where it's sandwiched and who it's sandwiched between. It's If you were to pull an upset on Penn State, maybe you are looking ahead to LSU when you're playing Georgia State that week. And I agree with you guys. This Georgia State team is not a team to overlook because this may be the most talented Georgia State team that they've had in maybe program history at least at the fbs level yeah yeah last year uh they literally set a program record offensively for like points per game and yards per game and stuff like that they had like a freshman quarterback yeah and they've got 11 starters coming back so uh they they should improve on offense they have 11 starters coming back and then (laughs) i think they also have like eight or nine on defense but anyway this is not a georgia state we've already analyzed georgia state if you want to go find that we've we've probably got a podcast up on it 100 go go and find it anywhere you get your podcasts Coming up, SEC Media Days on Monday. This is what we're going to talk about now. Questions for each team on the first day of Media Days. We're going to start previewing day one. You can hear us right here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama all week long at Media Days from 2 to 4 p.m. as you do every day. And go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to have all your information throughout Media Days, so make sure you keep up with us. We're also going to have articles as well on RadioAlabamaSports.net, like the one that we're about to talk about right here. I wrote an article on RadioAlabamaSports.net, SEC Media Days, one question for each team on day one. Once again, go and check that out on RadioAlabamaSports.net or download the Radio Alabama Sports app. We keep you up to date with a lot of great content, Auburn and Alabama, other stuff going on in the high school sports realm in the state. It's a great website. Go and check it out. But let's take a look at this. you got Florida, LSU, and South Carolina. Lance, what's a question that you have for Florida going into media day? Uh, before I do, I just want to hype your article up. It's a good read. Y'all should go check it out, RadioAlabamaSports.net. You've already read it? I, I did read it after I, I, I wrote it down, and then I saw that you uh, wrote an article, and I, I, I really liked it. A question for Florida, and this is going to sound kind of kind of uh, sarcastic, but uh, who's playing offense? Like, for real. Like They Flo- don't know. Florida lost, like, all of their receiver production and well not all of it but most of it and then they lost their quarterback obviously in Kyle Trask I think they lost their last three targets from last season and uh who are they going to be throwing to and then also the question is is how has Emory Jones uh been progressing in the offseason during spring camp is like is he ready to to take over is he ready to uh to be the new starter and then also how are they going to use him are they going to throw the ball as much as they did last season are they going to change the offense up a little bit what does the running back room 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 look like is Damian Pierce the guy there are just a lot of different questions about this offense and who's playing for me Florida lost as you've alluded to already Kadarius Toney Kyle Pitts and Trayvon Grimes two of which I believe were first round picks right yeah did Kadarius Tony go in the first round uh Dylan get on that for me tell me if uh tell me where he went and when he went as well but I know Kyle Pitts obviously was a was a top pick in the draft right I mean he's a top 10 guy so they lose Kadarius Tony Kyle Pitts Trayvon Grimes that's a group that combines for 2,343 yards 151 receptions and 31 touchdowns It's fair to ask how this receiver room is doing after losing its most valuable production. And I think that is fair to say that they lost their most valuable production. That's my question to me today is, what does the receiving core look like after the top three receivers departed? Uh, Kadarius Toney went round one, pick 20 to the Giants. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they need help on the offensive side of the ball. 
Need a lot I forgot of, about that. Yeah, I did too. I, I'm surprised. I thought he was either late first round or early second. And I didn't realize he went. Where Trayvon Grimes go? Can you find that too? So yeah, they, they lose a lot. Well, one thing is to be said about Florida. I think you and I are hitting the nail on the head. It's funny though. We talk about the offense so much because that is Florida's bread and butter. That's how Florida has won its football games. That's what we think of when we hear the name Dan Mullen. But the defense only returns five starters, and they weren't very good last year either. 30.8 points allowed per game, the worst defense they've had in the last seven years. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It's also, it's like, uh, who's playing on defense? Who's playing for this team, I think, should be should be the question that, that Florida fans who are not like heavily invested should be asking. Be like, okay, so who's playing this year? Because everybody from last year that mattered is gone. Dylan, Trayvon Grimes? Trayvon Grimes went undrafted, got signed by the Eagles. Is he still on the roster? Is he still? I, I I would assume he is. Nobody's making cuts mm-hmm. at this point because yeah. we haven't even gotten to the preseason yet. Good luck to him, man. Good luck to him. For some reason, I thought he got drafted. I don't, I don't know. But still, they lose their top three receivers. 2,343 yards, 151 receptions, and 31 touchdowns. Once again, it's fair to ask how this receiver room is doing after you lose those guys. Now, after that, I mean, they do return a decent amount. Jacob Copeland's still coming back. That's a solid receiver that they're bringing. 23 receptions, 435 yards, 18.9 yards per reception, three touchdowns. Auburn would love to have something like that coming back, you Mm -hmm. know. But Florida is in a very similar boat to a lot of other teams in the SEC that lost a massive amount of talent on the offensive side of the ball. It's a shame that 2020 was the swan song for so much great talent in this league that went eight and four for florida specifically i think yeah. another question that's going to be asked still won the east they still did win the east a- another question i think people are also going to ask and i think they're going to ask this to emory and i think they're going to ask this to mullen is uh how are y'all going to prepare for alabama and they're going to just going to be a lot of different questions about that that week three matchup against the crimson tide uh i don't know if florida has has a uh, like a big shot in that game but here's here's a hypothetical for you noah and uh, it's not the most realistic hypothetical. Let's say Alabama struggles against Miami but wins, and Bryce Young doesn't look good. And then they have that Week 2 matchup. I don't know who it is. I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm assuming it's a cupcake. And then they go into Week 3. It's USF. It's USF. There you go. And then it's the Swamp and that environment. And if Emory Jones has kind of figured it out, and he's, he's at least going to be able to manage the game and play consistently, that could be a game that Alabama could find themselves. They should win the game, but it, it could be a game where they find themselves reeling. So I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on that matchup, and a, a lot of people should be excited for it. So I think there are going to be a lot of questions asked to Emory Jones and Dan Mullen as to how they're going to prepare for that matchup. Are they already looking ahead to it? Are they already game planning for it? I would assume that they should be just a little bit uh, during the summer, and especially in fall camp. So it's it's another question I think will be posed. I get the vibe with that Alabama Florida game, the same one that I got with Alabama A and M last year, which ended in a fifty-two to twenty-four win for Alabama. Now I don't think it's going to be that. I, I don't know if it's going to be fifty-two to twenty-four or like thirty-eight to fourteen, but I definitely think it's going to be a sizable win for Alabama over Florida, mainly because I think Florida has too many things to figure out in, in such a short amount of time against inferior competition. Florida Atlantic and USF won't be able to adequately prepare Alabama for Florida, but Miami will prepare Alabama for Florida. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. That is a good point. I'm just saying Miami may be better than Florida this year. Hmm. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, like Alabama's already got at least a tough team that's in the same tier as Florida up to that point. Florida really won't know who they are until they play Alabama, or at least where they're at from a measuring stick perspective. 
And the thing that Alabama can fall on and what they feel probably really comf- comfortable about, what maybe is most comfortable for them, is their defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to have any hard time playing defense here early in the season. Florida, on the other hand, may have a hard time on both sides of the ball. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear your thoughts. Whatever's on your mind, whatever you want us to talk about, let us know. Call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. So far today, we've talked about what game could Auburn possibly trip up in in 2021, but they shouldn't. But who could be a trap game for Auburn? Also, who's a team that maybe Auburn could be a trap game for? Who could Auburn upset this year on their schedule? And our last segment, we started dipping our toe in talking about questions for each team on day one of SEC Media Days. We'll revisit that later on in the show. But now I want to get into five reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama won't win the SEC in 2021. I have made a new article this year. We talked about this earlier in the week, maybe on Monday. I told everybody about the article that I wrote last year. That was five reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama won't win the SEC championship in 2020. I've done it again this year. Five reasons why Alabama football won't win the SEC in 2021. Both of us will give that. Now, this isn't us saying that Alabama won't win it. But if they don't win it, what are the reasons why? I'm going to be honest. I had a very hard time coming up with legitimate reasons as to why Alabama would not win the SEC in in 2021. That being said, I think the, the, the top of the list should be Bryce Young. Breaking in a new freshman quarterback. Of course, Alabama, the last three times that they have broken in a quarterback, um, I think they won the national title that year I think with uh with Hertz they or they at least went to it Hertz in 2016 they did it Jones they did it last year and um and when Tua was broken in didn't they go in 27 yeah so they did 2018 they went got blown out so they, at the last three years that they've broken in a new quarterback regardless of his uh whether he's a freshman or whatever they've gone to the national title game uh and you know what that's just kind of expect that's what Alabama's been doing for a while so I don't think quarterback's like a big factor in that but I think it is whenever you look at Bryce Young you know they're breaking in a new guy I think that any any team in the country you know is probably not the most confident breaking in a freshman quarterback so I think that's that's a pretty big factor considering some of the other factors that could be on our lists which are I don't think are as legitimate People can look forward to this article coming up on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Not yet posted, but I will have it up. Three reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama football won't win the SEC in 2021. I didn't go Bryce Young. I went more around the route. That was Alabama only returns three starters on offense. And imagine losing three players that could have won the Heisman. Mac Jones was right there. Najee Harris should have been right there when you look at his stats from a year ago. And Devontae Smith actually won the Heisman. Oh, and then add on to that, you lost Jalen Waddell, who probably would have been the reason why Mac Jones would have won the Heisman 
had Jalen Waddle stayed healthy because the receiver production would have been split between Devontae uh would have been split between Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle also they only returned two starters on the offensive line so and and so really you could just say that only two starters return on offense or 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 well, then again, John Mechie's back, so never mind. Three starters return on offense. I was about to say kicker's also back, and some places have included kicker for some reason as a returning starter on offense. I get it. They they make points too. Kickers are people, but still, very little comes back for Alabama. Of course, every year the narrative is the same, and we've said this oftentimes, and you just got into it a little bit. The narrative is the same every year. Alabama will reload. That's the truth. But as a caller, and that caller is Shane, as Shane reminded us several weeks ago, he reminded us that the past is not a guarantee that Alabama will win the SEC championship every season. And I think that's true. That is a very true statement. Alabama will reload. We know that they will be a good football team, but how much of a step back will the offense take in 2021? And the answer to that question may determine if Alabama will win the SEC championship this year. They've got the defense. They've got all that coming back. they got eight starters back on that side of the ball. But the main question for me is where is this offense at? It's still going to be a good offense. But how good will this offense be? Because the last three years, lethal. They averaged over 45 points a game for the last three seasons. Will they reach that mark? I don't know. Even the Jalen Hurts offense from back in, what year was it, 2017? Even that offense averaged 37.1 points per game. But what I'm trying to illustrate is, you saw when Jalen Hurts played quality competition especially at the end of that season where he struggled against Mississippi State. If it wasn't for Calvin Ridley really helping him out in that ballgame, they probably don't win it. And then he only puts 14 on Auburn. Struggles against Georgia in the national championship game and loses his job to Tua Tungvaloa, right? That offense was still good, but it wasn't elite. It wasn't lethal. It was was good. It was great against bad teams. It was above average against good to great teams, right? And so for me, I'm like, how good? good is this Alabama offense going to be I think it's going to be good but how good will be the the answer to that question will probably determine if this team wins the SEC championship or not because I I I think that Georgia's really knocking on the door this year and if this offense is not as elite as it was last season I think another reason uh that Alabama could potentially not uh win the SEC is the defense not improving and having issues against an off uh, an elite offensive team on their schedule and I think that specific team is Ole Miss last season they were able to put up quite a bit of points. But that, that like, uh, I believe one of our callers mentioned, that literally required, no, it was Jer- uh, Jeremy, uh, said that that literally required Mac Jones to have a perfect game. And if Bryce Young does not have a perfect game and Ole Miss offensively is able to keep up with the Crimson Tide, that could be a game where they falter. And obviously there are, there are other teams in, in, the, in the SEC West that are going to be hungry and competitive and could potentially get to 7-1. and one And or it could be Ole Miss. Who knows? So that could be a reason why they don't win the title. The last time we have seen Alabama lose this much production on the offensive side of the ball was 2015. Now, did that mean a whole lot? Alabama still won the national title that year. Jacob Koperger was their quarterback. Derrick Henry had an amazing year. But 2015, they only returned three starters on the offensive side of the ball. This year, they only returned three stars to the offensive side of the ball. And I'm trying to remember everything they lost for 2014. I guess Blake Sims was quarterback in 2014. Amari Cooper was, was running back. TJ Yeldon, I guess, may have still been the running back in 2014. I can't remember if there was anybody else other than Yeldon in that backfield. They lost a lot, but not nearly as much talent, obviously. Like the level of talent in which Alabama lost this past year was 
absurd, right? Like Amari Cooper, Jacob Coker, and TJ Yeldon don't even hold a flame to Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Mac Jones departing from the Alabama team. But that Alabama team back in 2015 only averaged 35.1 points per game. What really catapulted them that year was that they had Derrick Henry at running back in an elite defense that only gave up 15.1 points allowed per game, right? So if Alabama takes a step back to the point where they only average like 38 points a game, I think you could see this as a very upsettable team in college football when they play some of the better teams on their schedule. Yeah, I think specifically, I think you you have to look at as games that I don't think that they sh- they're they're going to be favored in every single game they play this year, but games that could potentially be an upset, especially if the if the other opposing team gets their offense clicking. Miami, Ole Miss, LSU, and Auburn. I'll say Auburn at the end of the season simply because it's the Iron Bowl, and who knows what could happen in that game. Well, I have a great point about that coming up in a few minutes but I want to go to the second one on my list which is Georgia now has the offensive firepower I think to finally edge and eclipse the Crimson Tide in an SEC title game and I'm about to break this down follow me through here with the points and with the statistics that I'm about to bring out to you because I had to go on a deep dive here a little bit but the SEC East primarily Georgia has had a really hard time producing a team that is complete enough to beat Alabama when Alabama reaches the SEC championship they win it The SEC East has not been able to produce a legitimate contender to be able to take that title from them. The closest that they got, what, was in like 2018, and and Georgia found a way to blow that game, lost at 35-28. In the last three meetings with Alabama, Georgia has scored 24, 28, and 23 points respectively. Averaging 25 points a game against Alabama won't cut it to pull an upset. Alabama has only lost five games in the last five seasons. Five in the last five seasons. With opponents outscoring Alabama in those games by an average of 39.8 points to Alabama's 29.4 points per game. So when Alabama has lost the last five years, they've lost by an average deficit of nearly 10 points. I mean, that's what you're looking at, 39.8 to 29.4. Mm-hmm. That was the average score of those ball games. Now, some of those were in national title games where they got blown out by Clemson, you know, 44 to 16 and whatnot. But the point that I'm trying to illustrate is when teams beat Alabama, they drop a boatload of points on Alabama that's how you that's how you beat them that's how you get into that territory now with how Nick Saban has built the Crimson Tide team here in the back half of his tenure I reiterate once again Georgia's 25 points per game against Alabama is not enough to cut it just go and look at last year when they only scored what was it 24 points and they looked decent in the first half and then they blow it in the second half you just can't hold on you have to keep scoring you have to Take that, Stetson Bennett truthers <laughs> out here thinking that he was something special. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. And I think, like you said, I think Georgia's got the offensive firepower to do that this season. If George Pickens was healthy, man, I would feel so comfortable. Feel a lot better. Yeah, I'd feel, I'd feel a lot better. I mean, I, I feel good right now with, with, with Georgia and their offense, but I would feel, feel a lot better if Pickens was healthy. So will this season be different? They return a starting quarterback that averaged 307.8 yards per game at JT Daniels. Jacob Eason wasn't doing that. Jake Fromm wasn't doing that. We haven't seen quarterbacks with the ability to do that since like Matthew Stafford and Aaron Murray. They're, they're eight years removed from that almost now. And JT Daniels can do this. 307.8 yards per game last season in his four starts. If it wasn't for the injury to George Pickens, like you said, I'd feel really confident. And each of the top seven receivers would be back in 2021. Instead, now take George Pickens out of the picture. They still have their top six guys back from 2021. And they were like, oh no, we don't have George Pickens. Oh, here's Eric Gilbert. Right. They bring in Eric Gilbert now to enhance the receiver room. They added former five-star 
tight end wide receiver Eric Gilbert like I said from LSU in the transfer portal to further improve that group and then on top of that they add their top six rushers back from last season three of the five starters are back on the offensive line the talent is there for Georgia to do more damage on the school board and I think the question has to be asked if JT Daniels was in the game last year against Alabama does that game go differently Mm -hmm. was this Georgia team at the end of the year good enough to compete I don't think Georgia would have beaten Alabama in that midseason contest I don't think that they would have beaten Alabama now that Alabama defense at the time was reeling I mean you think back to Alabama last year that was around the same time that they were giving up 48 to Ole Miss yeah that was the week after they gave up 48 to Ole Miss good job boys now Alabama really cleaned it up in the second half against Georgia we were able to blow them out 41 to 24 but still that first half against Georgia was shaky footing for Alabama fans and they were angry with Pete Golding that second half against Georgia was the turning point of the season for Alabama's defense because from that moment on, they give up 17-0-3, 13-17-3. They give up 46 to Florida. And then in the playoff games, give up 14-24. So I think you can really point towards that second half against Georgia being a turning point for the Alabama defense. And it will be very good this year. But Georgia's got the offense now to match what's the best quality of Alabama's football team it's, it's going to be a great matchup yeah and then I think the, the another thing for me and you kind of hinted at this and I'm it's, I'm saying this is kind of joking but I'm also kind of serious Jalen Hurts and Tua are no longer on the roster there is not a backup quarterback that in my mind that could come in if Bryce Young is being inefficient in an SEC title game that could take over and do what Tua or Hurts did or if he got hurt or if he got hurt yeah we got a caller on the line with us 334-321-1390 so we had our phone lines now shane we were giving you credit for a take a couple of weeks ago what's up my man hey guys uh i was just uh wanted to say uh, make a comment about some of your comments earlier about how florida is probably going to take a step back because all of you know most of their production is lost from the following year uh the previous year go for but it it's the same 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 token you guys won't, won't say anything about a similar situation with Alabama. I mean, all of their production is gone, but they're number one. They're, they're winning the SEC. They're winning the championship. It's just, it's just, you know, funny how just the name will, will do that to you. Uh, you know, they lost, they're losing, they lost just as much production as, as Florida has, but, uh, you know, some would say that Dan Mullen is a he's not a, not a statement, but he's a good coach, uh, arrogant, but still a good coach. But still, Alabama lost all their offense and their coaches. So it just it just you know how can they be so high up and Florida not? I'll you say this: <laughs> I'll make two points right here. Um, a and Alabama recruits a lot higher up than Florida in that category. So they have a little bit more of a pool to, to pull from with guys coming back every year. But I will say, this segment, we are talking about three reasons. I mean, I've got an article about it come out of RadioAlabamaSports.net, three reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama football won't win the SEC in 2021. And I did bring up your point that says Alabama only returns three starters on offense. And there isn't a guarantee that they will win the SEC championship every year based off of past precedent. So I agree right. with you on that scent, and that's what we've been talking cool. about throughout this segment. Yeah, all right, that sounds good, guys. I just I just wanted to bring that up. I, I some, in my opinion, I think I think Alabama will take a step back. They're not going to lose multiple games, but you know they might lose two games this year. Uh, 
close game to like an Ole Miss or, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea who, but I, I, I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they have been in the past. Um, and, and maybe that's all it takes is one year for the rest of the, the country to like not fear them. I feel like a lot of times like their hitting Nick's uh, assistants can't get over that because there's this like this expectation. There's this, there's, there's this hype. There's this like fear that you can't beat this guy. So, you know, all, all it takes is just like one year and then, you know, maybe the rest of the country will you know, slowly catch back up and, or not. I have no idea. But anyway, guys, love the show still. Talk to you later. Appreciate it, Shane. And uh, to go along with that point where it could just take one year, you think about that first year that Alabama lost to Clemson back in the 2016-2017 College Football Playoff National Championship. What happened after that? It spurred on a run. Of course, Alabama did win the Natty the next year in 2017, but post-2017, Alabama had quite a drought, a drought that Nick Saban hadn't seen since that you know, you, you go back to it. If they don't win last year in the 2020 National Championship, you, people probably do begin to wonder if the Alabama dynasty is over. So it does, it, I think it does buy the rest of college football some time to catch up. Unfortunately, for the rest of college football's Titans right now, Clemson, Ohio State, they have some major questions to answer too themselves. Yeah. They yeah. lost just as much as Alabama lost. So I think that opens the door for a squad like Oklahoma maybe to really shock some people. And I know on the drive earlier this week, they were talking with Barrett Sally. And Barrett Sally, among other people, including myself, PFF, really likes this Oklahoma team. There's a lot of folks out there that think this Oklahoma team maybe should be favored to win the national title. And a lot of that does have to do with returning production and what they bring back. But we need to take a quick break here. We're running a little bit behind. When we come back, we finish up this conversation. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line on the Friday edition of the show. You're up for SEC Media Days on Monday. Make sure you tune in all week long as we'll be in Hoover on Radio Row all week, 2 to 4 p.m. Make sure you stay tuned for that as we will keep you up to date with everything going on at SEC Media Days. Interviews, sound bites, all that good stuff. We're going to be keeping you covered all week long in Hoover. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Happy Friday, everybody. Enjoy your sports and movies as we go into the weekend. Interstellar war between robots landing on Earth. Transformers Dark of the Moon is on AMC at 7. Old school Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire is on Paramount at 6. Don't go looking for the boogeyman. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum is on Sci-Fi at 6.30. You know, guys, I was watching Chapter 2 last night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and a little bit, actually, the Parabellum was on last night as well, just really, really late. I was watching the early stages of it, and I was like, he may have just got excommunicated, but why in the world is everybody going after John Wick? Don't they know? Yes, this is not the know. guy to mess with. <laughs> In live sports, the basketball tournament gets started. 64 teams competing for the ultimate prize of $1 million. At 6 from the Wichita Regional, you got Team Challenge ALS as they take on We Are D3 on ESPN. And at 8 also from the Wichita Regional, Aftershocks taking on Expats on ESPN2. Before I wrap it up here, this is a fun name that I want to say, and, and older football fans will know what I'm talking about here. If you're missing football, ESPN Classic tonight. Tim Biakabatuka ran all over Ohio State back in 1995. 313 yards. You want to watch some old-fashioned big-game football? Catch Classic Ohio State-Michigan 7, ESPN Classic. Tim Biakabatuka. Wow. Bless you. 
It's <laughs> a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic name. Wow, wow. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll be watching. I'll be watching both the TBT and if I can catch a little bit of John Wick, I will as well. I absolutely love those movies. Football equivalent of John Wick, Parabellum, Timbiaka Batuka. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Don't they know not to mess with this man? <laughs> Three hundred and thirteen yards. Good gracious. Stack the box. Stack. It doesn't matter. I get ESPN Classic. I'm pretty sure. So I'm, I'm going to be tuning into that tonight. I think. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> Just to hear the announcer say it. What do they say whenever he breaks off a run? Do they say his entire name? They do say his name. Or just be like, there he goes. They do say his name. But uh, three reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama football won't win the SEC in 2021. That's an article coming up on Radio Alabama Sports. Stay tuned for that. Go and find it on RadioAlabamaSports.net. It sounds exactly like his name. RadioAlabamaSports.net. My last reason here to wrap it up. I'll say this. Alabama has to play Auburn on the road. This is a real short and sweet point. It's the reality of it. Alabama fans get mad when I say this, but it's the reality of it. Auburn is 6-4 and four at home against Alabama in the last 10 meetings. And in each of the six Auburn wins, Alabama did not win the SEC championship in those seasons. Didn't even go to it. I'm not saying that Auburn is the better football team and some of the years that Auburn beat Alabama those seasons, they probably weren't the better team. That, that 2013 Alabama football team was one of the best teams to not go to a national championship. It really was. It may, have been Nick, it may have been Nick Saban's best team, but they probably weren't the better team in some of those years. But things get weird when Alabama travels to Auburn. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll give one more reason before we head out here. It's because Bama stinks. They're, gonna, they're, they're not winning. They're not winning it, boys. Everybody chill out. Just because history says they're going to do this or history says they're going to do that or Nick Saban's here or Nick Saban's there, they ain't winning it this year, all right? That was the, Bama, that was the, that was the Auburn bias coming out. <laughs> That's it for hour number one of On the Line on Lance's outburst right there. We got hour number two coming up, 3 o'clock. Stay tuned. Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner lands all with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday. If you missed hour number one, go and find the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We are there. And you can be too. Go and find it. On the line. That's how you can find the podcast. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983. 
Com. It's been a fun show today so far. We've done some questions for each team on the first day of media days. We really only went through Florida, so there's still LSU and South Carolina to get through. We gave five reasons from an Auburn graduate, or three reasons from an Auburn graduate, that is, why Alabama won't win the SEC championship in 2021. we got a lot of great stuff still coming up here in hour number two, and the way we're going to start off hour number two is questions for each team on day one of SEC media days as we're getting ready for that Coming up on Monday, we'll be there all week, 2 to 4 p.m. on the line. Listen to us. I'm trying not to sound childish, but the wave of realization that I'm going for the first <laughs> time ever literally just hit me again as you were talking. And it's a, it's not like the greatest thing in the world, but man, growing up as an SEC football fan, growing up as an Auburn fan, getting to actually go to an event like this and getting to hang out, get to learn all these different uh, things about these different coaches and being able to talk about it with you guys – it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We're going to have a lot of great content coming out throughout the week. Sound bites, interviews, all that good stuff. So make sure you stay tuned for that coming up starting on Monday through Thursday, SEC Media Days. I'm sure everybody's counting down the days to the start of football season. They're well aware SEC Media Days is next week. But we're going to go back to that segment that we had. Questions for each team on the first day of SEC Media Days. We've already done Florida. A big part of that just revolves around the offensive side of the ball for the Florida Gators. Now... I want to go to talking about LSU and South Carolina. That's what we'll take on here in this first segment. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line, 334-564-1840. We already heard from Shane today, and he brought up some great points about the Florida Gators at SEC Media Days or, or the Florida Gators for this upcoming season. Now, let's get to LSU at South Carolina. If you've got thoughts, once again, call in 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. LSU. LSU I think the question that is going to be asked the most and the questions surrounding this question are who are Jake Peets and Durante Jones and how are these two new coordinators for LSU going to improve on last year's uh, statistical totals both offensively and defensively how are how is the offensive coordinator Jake Peets going to help LSU run the ball more efficiently how is he going to coach this this offensive line to pass block better how is uh, Durante Jones going to get the defense to literally stop anything LSU gave up over at least 250 passing yards in eight of their 10 10 games last season Vanderbilt and Auburn both had over 300 passing yards should tell you how how abysmal this LSU team was at defending the pass last season. How is Durante Jones going to help improve this unit? What are they going to do differently? What does the defense and offense look like? Who's playing where? How are they going to play? Is this secondary going to get any better with all the talent that they have? And how are these coordinators going to help direct them in the right direction? My question for LSU is... How has the program handled the staff changes on both sides of the ball? So going hand-in-hand with what you're talking about here with Jake Peets and Durante Jones. Honest question, if I asked folks out there if you knew who those guys were before they came to LSU or even if you knew that LSU hired those two guys. I feel like most people around Auburn would be like, who? Who's Durante Jones? Who's Jake Peets? One guy in this studio knew who Jake Peets was before he was hired, but I didn't, you didn't, it's Dylan, and that's because he's a Carolina Panthers fan. <laughs> and he and he's mouthing to me right now, you didn't even know. <laughs> I would have assumed he know, knew. I, he was the quarterback's coach last year for the Carolina Panthers, Not the understudy to Joe Brady, who was 
obviously the guy who struck up magic for LSU a couple of years ago in 2019 alongside Joe Burrow. It was it was the it was the connection between the Joey B's, right? Like mm-hmm. like those guys at LSU in 2019 were the masterminds of LSU winning a national championship. And, and it seems like LSU is trying to rekindle that magic from a couple of years to, uh, from a couple of years ago. But it's not often that you see two new coordinators on a staff on both sides of the ball. And with LSU trying to rekindle all that 2019 magic with these new coaches, will they be able to take and correct LSU's issues last season considering that they have no, zero, zero experience being a coordinator at the FBS and professional level? Jake Peets was a coordinator at a community college and Durante Jones was a, uh, I believe he was a coordinator at a high school at one point in his career. That's it. And it was very early in their college football career or their their coaching careers that they were coordinators. It's been a long time since they've done this. Th- these are not their normal responsibilities, and now they're going to have to call plays. It, it, it is a major question, a very needed question to ask. How is the program handling these two major staff changes? From from a perspective of an Auburn fan, those are two fantastic hires. <laughs> Come on with it. In that case, uh, really quick yes or no question for you. Uh, once Ogeron gets fired here in the next three or four years, do you think LSU fans would be open to the fa- uh, to the possibility of hiring Joe Brady as their head coach, bringing him back? Oh, yeah, I think they'd love it. I thought you were about to ask me Gus Malzahn. I'd love oh, that. Would you? Would, would you? <laughs> I think I would. I really do. I think I would. Let's head to the phone lines now. We got a caller on the line with us, 334-321-1390 is how you can get in touch with us. And it's Terry joining us on a Friday. Terry, what's up? Guys, how y'all doing today? We're doing really well. How you doing? Doing great. Doing fantastic. Hey, guys, I want to thank you guys for uh, when y'all pointed out the other day about when I called in about the uh, catches. Bo Nix is always looking for Seth Williams on every play. And then Brett called up and pointed out that he, you know, Anthony Schwartz had more catches, but you guys pointed out that he had more targets. I think yeah. so I, don't, I don't know to... if Brett goes to the, the Knicks family reunions or not, but you know, you know, whatever. Maybe think... he's, maybe he's Bo Nix's long lost twin brother. I don't know. To to be fair, um, Terry, I think it is. I think it is fair to point out though that the targets were really close. Seth Williams had 100, Anthony Schwartz had 85. Now, the contested targets, yes, like heavily. Bo, I, think, I think that is an indicator that Bonix would force the ball yeah. to Seth Williams. But right. I, I don't know if I would say overwhelmingly Seth Williams was his favorite target. I think the offensive scheme had a little bit to do with Anthony Schwartz having something to say about that. Yeah, and he was, he, he was forcing it to Williams, though. Like it, it, now, which one of you guys a moment ago said do you think um, – uh, Ed Orgeron will be fired the next three or four years because I that think he'll Lance. be fired the next three or four months. Uh, I, I think I think he's going to be out the door here pretty soon. I'm just try, I was trying to keep, I was trying to say three or four years because uh, I don't want to upset I don't want to upset folks. But yeah, I think he's uh, I think LSU's on a down, downward spiral with uh, him as head coach. Hey guys, when I say Ed Orgeron's basically Gene Chizik reincarnated, do you not see the point that, that Gene Chizik had Cam Newton, Michael Dyer in a great senior class, and 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 Ed Orgeron had Joe Burrow, Clyde edwards Alaire in a great senior class? Oh, I, I agree. They basically did the same thing. Both of them are a joke. It's just Gene Chizik's easier to understand. See, I like both coaches, so I, I don't. I don't want to say don't. that they were that they're. I, I got to give respect to two guys who who did win national championships. But I understand your point on the trajectory. They they both had they both had the moons aligned in their favor with transcendent talents that helped them win a title. Whereas if they didn't have that. They probably wouldn't have won a title, and it, their tenures may have ended much quicker. Okay, Terry. let me ask you this, then, Noah. Uh, uh, when, when a few years ago, when when Eric Spolstrom beat beat the Spurs, beat Greg Popovich, do you think at all he's a better coach than Greg Popovich? 
Ah, oh, see, I like Eric Spolster too, but no. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. That that's my point. That 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 is exactly the point I'm trying to make. No, it's a, he's, Ed Orgeron's a joke. Terry. Ed Orgeron's a joke, and, he, and people forget he basically destroyed the Ole Miss program. And 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 I don't know why. I just him having national championship rings. Like guys, I, I point this out before. Look at the quarterbacks have Super Bowl rings, and look at Dan Marino who doesn't. Yeah, Terry Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson, Charles Barkley. <laughs> Terry, do you have I mean, a do you have a uh, Ed Ogeron impression in your arsenal? Can you say uh, we're going to stink this year? Go Tigers in Ed Ogeron's voice. No, and he would just do it. Go Tigers. That's what he would do. No, I'd understand him. And, and and everybody likes him because everybody likes the Cookie Monster. And that's basically who he is. I've never heard that comparison. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, he's the cookie. There's something wrong with a guy that looks like Shrek. So I'm like the Cookie Monster, right? Ouch. Uh, Terry's so, throwing shade. I mean, I just, I just don't understand. I don't understand the love fest with this this, this idiot. I don't. I just, I, I don't. I mean, you say you respect him, and that's fine. I know you said that, that. That I understand the point there, but you know, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. The guy called lightning in a bottle. Yeah, he's got a championship ring, and a lot of guys don't. But that's that's more of an insult to the guys that don't. So, uh, question to you, Terry, then, because you know, you've, you've been listening to the show. You know that we think Auburn's going to have a better year than LSU and Texas A&M. Between LSU and A&M, do you favor A&M more than LSU, I would say? Absolutely. And so, what what are you looking at wins and losses for LSU this year? Um, six and six. Wow. Only one more than last year, even with the yeah. non-conference schedule? Yeah, that's right. I think they lose to UCLA first game of the year. I love it. I love that take. I love that take. I, I think UCLA's a fun team. And, I, and, and guys, another prediction here, guys, I think as, you, as UCLA, eventually they'll get tired of Chip Kelly out there, and they'll, I think they'll go after Lane Kiffin. What better way to stick it to USC than get Chip Kelly, uh, get Lane Kiffin at UCLA? Ooh. I wonder if Lane Kiffin would, uh, you know, that actually might benefit Lane Kiffin's career, especially to get out from underneath Nick Saban. But it depends right. on if Nick, how long Nick Saban's here too. I, I don't know. That that's interesting. Like Kevin being able to go I think that's. I think I got a feeling that'll happen. I, I I was kind of surprised that Texas didn't go make a harder push for Lane Kiffin to be honest with you. But I guess only one year of work wasn't enough. Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian's the new uh, the new fad in college football, and I and I think Sark's going to do well at Texas. Terry, we appreciate it, my man. Sure. Take care, guys. That was Terry on the line with us. Terry always bringing the shade. <laughs> All my apparently all my homies hate Ed Ogeron. It's just like, jeez. I mean, like I don't I don't have anything against the guy, but I don't think he's a good coach, like a good head coach. But I, mean, I think he's a fun personality. I think that's kind of why I like him. 2019. I don't know how you couldn't be happy for the guy. I understand there are probably some people where Ed Ogeron is not their cup of tea, but I was happy for the guy. I know he I know he loves LSU. He's a Louisiana dude. I mean, the, the guy pretty much at every press conference has probably said. You know, in the great state of Louisiana, it's just great to go and win a national championship, something like that. You know, like <laughs> uh, he, he loves Louisiana, he loves LSU, he loves the school, and I, you know, he, he just is grinning ear to ear all season long, like he was taken in the moment. I think he even knew throughout that season, like I'm never gonna have a team as good as this ever again. I might as well soak it up and enjoy it. Uh-huh. And and I think that was why he was maybe at times why some people viewed him as so obnoxious that season, mm-hmm. where he could say the things like he said about Alabama and saying you know how those guys were talking about recruiting and whatnot and how he could just you know point the finger and get so excited in the locker room. It's because he he had a national championship team and I think he knew it.
Two things. Never was going to get better than that. <laughs> Number one, I want to know how his voice got that way. I'd love for him, like, at media days it's at just, some point. It's to just be like, being a Cajun, was like, I've never smoked a day in my life. And then just an- another thing is, like, I think his Twitter feed is one of my favorites because if you go down it, it's just, like, there's a mile-long part of it where it's just hold that tiger over and over and over. Every time they get a recruit, he tweets out hold that tiger. So it's just, like miles of hold that tiger and nothing else and the occasional retweet would be like yeah i was hanging out with my son at this barbecue hold that tiger hold that tiger hold that tiger i i i, I like his personality man i like his personality i don't think he's, he's fun i don't think he's a great head coach it'd be more fun I, if he Harry, was a great head coach but yeah <laughs> anyway so let's get away from LSU here. We're about to have to go to break. Our question for LSU is definitely about the coordinators, how they handle that. Nobody knows who they are. They have no experience being coordinators at college or professional levels of football. So that's a major question mark for them. You South that, Carolina. You know that Snoop Dogg meme of him going, who? That should be the question for LSU. <laughs> that should be the question for LSU. Was who? Who are these coordinators? South Carolina. How is Shane Beamer going to make progress in year one? Because this is a rebuild, no question. They've, they, they, they lost some talent. They've got a little bit back. What are the steps that the Gamecocks are going to take in order to make progress as a program? Because I don't think they're, they're not getting to a bowl game. They're going to have a really hard time getting to four, four or five wins. What are they going to do offensively and defensively to make the steps forward in order to say two or three years down the line that this is a bowl-eligible team? Kind of going hand in hand with that also, I I didn't get that far to saying is there going to be progress because I, I really don't think there's going to be a whole lot of progress here at South Carolina, but I'm going back probably a couple of months before your question would is a little bit more relevant. I'm going back to when he first took the job, right? Like you're talking about this season, I'm going when he first took the job. I'm really curious what was Shane Beamer's perception of the program when he took the job. Um, that That's not the same as me asking why did you take this job why are you about to undergo this rebuild? The, the real question is, how does Shane Beamer view the program at the moment? South Carolina returns 14 starters, but the most important players for South Carolina a year ago depart with the exception of Kevin Harris. I mean, they lose names like Colin Hill, wide receiver Shai Smith, and cornerback J.C. Horn. The best players on South Carolina largely are gone, aside from Kevin Harris, and is a running back enough to change that. Vanderbilt's had some great running backs. They still finished last in the SEC East. It's, it's not good enough. What pieces does Shane Beamer have to work with going into his first season? Are there any building blocks to work with, or is this really a full rebuild? And I think the 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 building block you'd say is Kevin Harris, but it's the building block. There but is like none. he's there for two years, maybe, yeah. right? Like this guy's NFL bound in two years. Running backs don't stay for four years, or at least they shouldn't, because that's more tread off the tires. So a substantial amount of pressure is going to be put on a freshman quarterback in Luke Doty and an all-SEC running back in Kevin Harris for this team to have success this year. I really am curious what his perception of the team is and where he feels like he needs to build and where, where how he's going to construct this team to be successful in the SEC. Because he's been at a program that has repeated success year in and year out, Oklahoma. He knows what a winning formula looks like. I'm curious how he applies that to an SEC team that is at the bottom of the barrel. Here's what his perception was. Whenever he was, he was pitched uh the the program by south carolina picture two dumpsters one of them is on fire and dirty the other one is clean but is still a dumpster the one on fire is vanderbilt the one that is clean is south carolina and the reason that is a clean dumpster is because those facilities are fire but they still suck man you're going all in on them too (laughs) hey 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 we're throwing this is the, the the segment of shade 
and then there's like a, a fl- floating like a, like a flooded street or something like that and it's a Tennessee dumpster on fire going down <laughs> the street as well just like well, f- walking along you know or yeah. floating along I'll tell you what though the, have you seen their facilities then all you need is Oscar Oscar the Grouch yeah. to come out of a can or something like that and then the cookie monster apparently Ed Orzeron's there too yeah there he is Facil- <laughs> the facilities though are, are beautiful for a for, for a program like South Carolina top of the line I think they have a fun stadium and a fun atmosphere too. I like the towels that they wave in the air. I think uh, when South Carolina was good under Spurrier, that that was a fun that was a fun time there. Now they are they are definitely in some serious trouble at the moment. We need to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals a bit tomorrow. Back in action, give a percentage of who the scales favor more in a tied series right now. Two two. Who's got the momentum? We talk about that when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We've heard from Terry. We've heard from Shane. If you want to hop in here on this Friday afternoon, we want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. I mean, SEC Media Days is right around the corner. you got to have something to talk about football-related, right? I mean, you got to. You got to. got to. We coming. We coming. <laughs> Noah Gardner at Lansdaw to SEC Media Days. And Ogeron's in the corner, way by back the way. Down. <laughs> Ogeron's in the corner of the studio. All right, NBA Finals here. We haven't talked about it a whole lot. I had that planned for the end of hour number one. Ran out of time a bit there. So let's get to the NBA Finals here. Is the next game Saturday or Sunday? Uh, I know I'm the TV guy, but I didn't Saturday. look to the weekend. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. So tomorrow, 8 p.m., game five. Tied series 2-2. Bucks have won the last two. Suns won the first two. Give me a percentage. Who do the scales favor? Don't give me 50-50. You're like king cop-out answer over there. No, okay? so I was going to give the ESPN's BPI prediction, which is Milwaukee at 51.5%. Uh, I think Milwaukee is is slightly favored right now. This is more like a percentage of momentum. Who momentum, is that favoring more? Momentum, 60, 67% Milwaukee. Wow. 67 to 33 right now. That's a lot. Uh, to win the series. To win the series. To win the NBA championship. Wow, so you have gone from Suns and Four guy to, to it's Fear over. the Deer. Yeah, it's over. No, I'm not pulling for Milwaukee. I'm going, I've am going. i gone from Suns and Four to, well, it's over. I don't care. Uh, the Suns are favored by four on Saturday, if that means anything. But uh, I want the Suns to win. I really do. It's just the way that Milwaukee's playing right now and the fact that Chris Paul uh, apparently in, in his biggest moments just wants to fall on the floor and, and give the ball to somebody else. Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't see this team, I don't see this team recovering quick enough. It's not how good the Bucs are playing. I, I think the Bucs are playing well at the moment. It's how bad the Suns are playing. I don't know if I'd even go to that degree either. Now, I don't think they played well in Game 3. I don't think they played poor in Game 4, but they did make a couple of crucial mistakes in Game 4 that cost them that game. It's more about what the Bucks are doing from a game plan pers- perspective. It's, it's how they're going about their work. It's not how well they're doing their work. It's more about how they're they're doing their work how they're choosing to do it they only shot 40 percent from the floor last game still found a way to win but what are they doing they the, the Suns have no answer right now for what the Bucks are doing and it all revolves around sticking Giannis Antetokounmpo in the paint and continually attacking the rim attacking the rim attacking the rim and being aggressive they're getting calls right now with as much aggressive play as the Bucks have at the moment with how much they are attacking the rim with how much they are living in the paint 
it is completely justified for them to have 29 free throws in a ballgame and to get more free throws than the Suns. I even think that some of the officiating in the previous game was trying to keep Devin Booker around. Now, Suns fans may have had a gripe in Game 3 with the with the free throw discrepancy. There should have been a bit of a gap between the two teams. I don't know if it should have been as much as it was, but I don't want this, the story of these finals to be about free throws. Yeah. But unfortunately, it kind of is. Because and, and it's not about the officiating. It's more about the fact that the Bucks are the ones getting to the free throw line. And the volume at which they are getting to the free throw line is really a decisive factor at the moment. That's why they've won the last two games. Easy. Noah, you said, you said that you think that the officiating was trying to keep Booker around. No, that's what happened. Booker is the first player in NBA history to finish a game with more than, five, more than six fouls. He, had, he, he finished the game with eight. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 clear path to the rim where he just like hacks. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember if it was Holiday or whoever it was. It was Drew Holiday. It was Drew Holiday. That's a foul. Like that was that that was it right there. That was the last one. That there there in no world is that not a foul based on the rules of basketball. And I and I'm pulling for the Suns by the way. That was a foul. I was like, okay. After that point, I'm like, y'all lost this game, and it looks bad that the refs are trying to keep your best player in it. And I'm not saying that the refs were doing that intentionally. What if they just missed the call? Okay, whatever. But you should make that call at the at that level. It was it was not the officiating was not good. So you're at a point now where the series is tied two two. Mm-hmm. You've got three games left. It's best two out of three from here out. And I think the Suns win another game. I do. They've got Devin Booker, Chris Paul. They'll they'll combine for. 80 points again you know they'll combine for 60 points again and Jay Crowder will get his and the, and the Suns will have a good offensive game I, I think that they win another one I mean they've got at least probably I, I think this thing now is going to go seven I do and so that means that the Suns have a couple more home games left they got game five here and then game seven as well so they get two more home games they're going to win one of those but I don't know if out of a three-game series which is what this has become now I don't know if they have an answer for three games for what the Bucks are doing schematically at this point with Giannis Antetokounmpo and just the repeated barrage, although a lot of bricks are thrown up, there is a repeated barrage of the, the just attacking the rim and, and getting free throw opportunities. The Bucks may be throwing up a brick 60% of the time, but do you know what they're doing with those bricks? They're building their vacation home where they are going to enjoy an NBA championship. Fear the deer is a real thing at the moment. I don't know if the Suns have yet to come up with an answer for what the Bucks are doing in the interior. Yeah, the Suns kind of laid down in game four. Literally at the end of the game with Chris Paul. I mean, the, the two times that he walked up the floor and he just like tripped on nothing and just was like on the floor. It's like, I don't, I don't know if the Suns are going to be able to recruit, recoup because like you've said over and over, the Bucks have figured out their game plan. They're they're doing they're they're making that game plan happen and it's working. And I if they're going to be able to continue to get into the paint and just be be more physical, um who did Milwaukee match up with before this? Was it the 70 no, it was the it was the Hawks. Yeah. That's what we said about the Hawks matchup is that we thought that Giannis and Brooke Lopez were going to be able to do whatever they wanted and uh that that eventually proved to be true. I don't think we talked about it enough whenever it came to this series, and now we're starting to see that's the Bucks' game plan, and it's 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 efficient. It's working. They're getting to the line. They're scoring. If I read off these averages for you, I said the Suns shot fifty-one point three percent from the field, thirty point four percent from three, and eighty-four point two percent from the free throw line, and then I told you that the Bucks shot forty point two percent from the field, 
24.1% from three and 82.8% from the free throw line. Who would you have thought have won? I would have thought the Suns would have won. I mean, that literally the Suns edged them in all of those categories, and only one of them is particularly close, which is the free throw line. And I mean, they even still shot a higher percentage of that. But there's a lot of mid-range jumpers being taken at the moment by Devin Booker, which I love that. I mean, he's still he's got his. He shot 42 points. The the Devin Booker is not the issue, and the way in which Devin Booker is getting his points is not the issue. A lot of times, the 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 two point shot is not guarded with the same type of vivacity that a layup or a three is because mm-hmm. opposing teams are willing to give you that shot because they think it's the worst shot in basketball yeah. due to how analytics have come into the game the way the way in which that they have Devin Booker though is a dead-eye shooter and made 17 of his 28 shots for 42 points now is that overly efficient I mean he only he only shot three threes he didn't even make a three he didn't even make a three and he still got 42 points it's impressive so i mean devin booker is still getting his he didn't get a whole lot of help from around him chris paul once again i go back to what i said yesterday he had the worst plus minus on the team at minus 10 <laughs> i don't know if y'all can tell i'm mad at chris paul right now <laughs> <laughs> but you know 10.7 assists from chris paul is not going to be enough jay crowder wasn't overly efficient three for 10 i mean no one really outside of devin booker was an overly efficient player with with consistency on the floor only one player on the on the suns had a positive plus minus and it was craig for them with a plus four and he played at 15 minutes and uh forgive me but uh craig tory craig is not a household name in the nba yeah, he's not <laughs> so where does the answer come from for the suns who 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 is the answer deandre ayton he went three for nine in 39 minutes for six points, had a minus seven plus minus. Now he had 17 rebounds, three blocks. Wow. But at some point, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder I don't think is big enough to handle Giannis Antetokounmpo. At some point, DeAndre Ayton is going to have to defend his round a little bit better than what he did. Yep. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo had 26. Of course, Chris Middleton sprayed it. He had 40, but it's, it's the aggressiveness. You're going to have to find a way to play defense without fouling. Can't give up these free buckets that they're giving up all game long. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. 30 minutes left in the show. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes left in the Friday edition of the show. Hope everybody's having a great Friday. If you're already off, give us a call. 334-321-1390. Text line 334-564-1840. We head to the phone lines now. Regular caller, a regular texter as well. Spectre is on the line with us. Spectre, happy Friday, my man. Hey, same back to you. Hey, uh, did you know about the ratings that came out on the Major League Baseball All-Star game? Take us through it. I've heard some stuff, but uh, if you've got those exact numbers in front of you, go for it, because I don't have them in front of me. Second lowest in history. Why do you think wow. that is, Specter? I'll tell you why it is. They moved the game out of Atlanta. I, yeah, and that probably made a lot of people angry. Yep. I, well, the thing about it is, here, here it is. It's not just what it did to the small business owners that, that support Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. but they had a they had a celebration set up for Hank Aaron in Atlanta. And of course they did it at Coors Field, but it, it, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. And I'm glad that people, you know, showed their approval. What people they had there were probably people that had nothing better else to do in, in Colorado. But uh, I'm glad the ratings were the second lowest in history. 
Spectre, another question to you, because I'm, uh, and I've heard some different shows talking about this with the All Star game and, and, and the Home Run Derby and all that stuff, just All Star festivities in general. Even outside of this year and what went on with uh, pulling the All Star game out of Atlanta in a normal year where there's not some drama surrounding it and whatnot, do you still, does the All Star game still interest you or has it ever interested you? Well, over the course of the years, I'm talking about the last four or five years, I've, I've actually lost interest in Major League Baseball, NFL, and the NBA because of the athletes cannot keep their mouth shut, cannot keep their their personal business to themselves. Instead of just playing the sport, the fans want to see the sport. They don't want to hear what they have to think. And uh, I, so I've become a less of a fan in all three of those categories. There's a lot of folks that uh, that feel that way too. So, yep, I understand that. Spectre, we appreciate it, my man. You got anything else on your mind? No, no I've got to go do something. I'll see you guys later. Sounds good. Call in to us next week. We'll be at SEC Media Days. Okay. That was Spectre on the line with us. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line, 334-564-1840. All-star game rubbed people the wrong way a lot of times. And I know we don't talk a ton of MLB baseball here on the show, um, mainly because I kind of feel like a lot of times interest is down right now with mm-hmm. Major League Baseball, especially with the way that the Braves are doing at the moment. But I know we don't talk a whole lot of MLB baseball. We talk a lot of football, talk a lot of college, talk a lot of NFL, talk a lot of basketball with folks also. So your thoughts on uh, on Spectre's call there? Yeah, I was disappointed that they moved it out of Atlanta as well, considering you know they were going to do that thing for Aaron and, and and how exciting you know it is to to have it in Atlanta. Um, I'm right there with him. I'm disappointed. I've never been a huge MLB guy, um, so I can't really testify to being interested in the All-Star game at any point uh, during my sports-loving uh, career. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's disappointing. I don't get into All-Star festivities at all anymore, and I used to. I just feel like it doesn't mean anything. They're changing a lot of it, and it really doesn't have any bearing on on anything going on. But And it kind of used to, to a degree, like – it felt like MLB's all-star festivities meant more than the NBA and the NFL's. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth. Because guys go out there in the Pro Bowl and they don't want to get hurt. And the same as the NBA All-Star game. I mean, they don't want to get hurt as well. There's much lower risk for injury in the MLB. I, I don't know. It's just, it's... I'm kind of at the point now where I feel like we should just name, like, all-star teams. I, I don't get as excited about seeing these guys play on the field because you all know they're not going 100%. So, like, what is what is even the fun in that? I, I don't know. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but... There's no luster to all-star games for me. Maybe we should just name an all-star team. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, because I'm, they're not going to go out there and play their best. I'm right there with you, man. It's not really that entertaining of a product. Yeah. Oh, okay, it was a 5-2 to two baseball game. I can catch that any Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, especially because it's a 162-game season. I mean, is it because I got to see all these great NL players and AL players playing on the same field? Uh, still, what does that do for me? I mean, I can – flip around and watch these guys all season long you know I mean maybe not all on the same field together but I don't know it just it just doesn't get me amped up because I know that there's no actual skin in the game it's very similar to the Pro Bowl for me I like watching the NBA All-Star game the The NBA All-Star game is the out of the three it's the only one that I would actually sit down and watch because I think I think it's fun like the, the different lobs and stuff that they do it's like even though these these guys on the field like probably have no chemistry because they've never played with each other before but like whenever Steph is just hammering 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 it on the floor to for for Giannis to go up and get it and throw it down like stuff like that's fun but the pro ball don't really care 
because the guys guys aren't giving it 100 percent. and then baseball i've never really been a big baseball guy this won't happen in these two sports with baseball and basketball because folks are too concerned with injuries in those sports and actually messing up the the domestic league because get the the height of baseball is in the united states the height of basketball is in the united states and so you don't want to do anything in the international game that would hurt you in the domestic league in the united states right whereas in soccer the height of soccer although there are major leagues such as the premier league and la liga and the bundesliga and there are major leagues there are more major leagues in soccer there you can't necessarily say there is one peak league now i would say it's the premier league and many other people would but the the epitome of success or like the height of success many people would say that they would want to win a world cup like that is something that they would want to be a part of and be on their resume and soccer it's a very different situation and injuries happen during international play but something that would definitely intrigue me a whole lot more than all-stars is let's play more international games throughout the year but people don't want to do that because guys would get hurt yeah and, and they don't want to risk that and in soccer there's just for some reason a different belief but like i eat up summers in soccer because you get to see the best players from one nation play against the best players of another nation and i think that would be fun you get to see that this year with the olympics and basketball but you i mean they don't really do it in baseball and they don't really do it in basketball that often and it's it would be more entertaining i think if they did expand the game internationally and had more international competition but i still once again highly doubt that that will happen we do this segment every week fill in the blank friday and we've got some fun blanks here for you and that's gonna pretty much how we're how we're gonna carry out through the rest of the show today fill in the blank friday let's get to it found out today tom brady apparently won a super bowl with a torn mcl playing all season so Mm -hmm. here's my question to you if there was another quarterback that could win the super bowl with a torn mcl it would be blank matthew stafford why because there have been two or three different points during his career where he has been playing the game with a serious injury and he was able to pull it out and the one that i would specifically point to and i don't i don't i'm not doing this to be hateful but i believe it was against the browns where he like like his shoulder was dislocated or something like that and he wanted to stay on the field to throw the the last touchdown pass or whatever it might be the two-point conversion and then he got it matthew stafford tough as not, nails not the same browns team i promise not the same browns. it's way different now yeah it's way different uh um, also I, for sure that brady was playing with an mcl the entire season sure my blank is no one i don't know if there is another quarterback that could do it i mean and i'm saying active quarterbacks right now maybe look peyton manning went through a lot at the end of his career and he was a shell of who he was at the end and that defense helped carry him to a super bowl right and he was even injured at that year, that season, if I remember correctly. So maybe Peyton Manning, but I'm talking about active quarterbacks right now. And even the best quarterback in the NFL, this is really not up for debate. Most people, if you're sane, you think that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Even turf toe in the, in the NFL playoffs was enough to sideline the dude. And it was like the equivalent of the Achilles heel to Achilles in like Greek mythology like apparently the turf toe is how you take down Patrick Mahomes to make him a significantly worse quarterback you know like and Tom Brady's over here yeah I'm missing a ligament in my knee it doesn't matter I'm gonna win a Super Bowl of course he had some great players surrounding him as well but Tom Brady is is I think that is almost kind of more proof to what he adds to a team is more in his leadership and his in his cerebral approach to the game rather than his actual arm talent or even skill at this age that's that's big reason why he's able to elongate his career to this point that is his game and his success is not totally contingent on his physical abilities 
Yeah, uh, and I think he's a fantastic player, and he's the greatest quarterback of all time. But uh, I I don't know if I necessarily buy that he was pay- playing the entire season with a torn MCL. Even I if mean, though, if he played in a Super Bowl with that against Patrick Mahomes, I mean, uh, sh- sure, sure. I don't I, I don't know if I buy it. I'm just <laughs> saying, I, like if it, if he did, really really impressive. Um, just adds to his legacy, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how accurate it is. Second blank here. Harson's demeanor at media days will be blank. Brian Harson's demeanor at media days will be blank. How do you expect him to handle himself? Militant. I think he is going to not be warm. I think he is going to be straightforward with people. And we've seen him in press conferences conferences in the past. He's not necessarily been annoyed. But he's 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 kind of been annoyed, and he's just kind of been straight shooting straight forward with people, and he doesn't like all the all the all the different weird and stupid questions, and so I think he's going to be pretty militant in this process. I think he's going to go into it with a mindset. He's going to come out of it with the same mindset. I went with confident and focus, which is very much so in the fa- same vein as what you're going with there. Focused, especially like he's been a vision like he's he's been all about his vision. He's been a very tunnel focus tunnel vision very focused on his vision for the program especially in those early weeks with the with the team and going into the spring he he conveyed that with so much confidence and he was eloquent and he gave these in-depth long or maybe not in-depth from giving a lot of information but he would give long answers and he found a way to convey his vision for the program with confidence and you kind of saw that begin to slide a little bit as the rest of the spring went on just because there, there wasn't as much to talk about and you began to get more and more coach speak. Now the cameras are back on and now there's new people asking him questions. I think he brings that same type. I think we see the same Brian Harson that we saw at the beginning. I think you see that at media days. Yeah, I agree with you. Not as, not really the coach speak Brian Harson, but the guy <clears throat> who's going to come in there with focus. Next blank here, Harson's go-to phrase or word at media days will be blank. Gus Malzahn has had his phrases. Every press conference was started with, okay, uh, so what is Brian Harson's go-to phrase throughout media days? This is going to come off as a joke, but I am very serious whenever I say this. Go back and watch the first press conference. What did he say almost every single time somebody asked him a question? Well, let me just say this. And then he would go off on a tangent, and he would kind of half answer the question, but not directly. You are going to hear that a lot at SEC media. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Well, let me just say this: go back and watch. If it's still up on Facebook, go back and watch that press conference because he would be like, "Oh, well, let me just say this," or like, "That's cool and all," or, or whatever. Let me just say this. He's going to say the word "compete" a lot. He's going to say the yes. word compete. Yeah, yeah I like that That was well. something else that he went to. I, th- I think he's going to say the word compete a lot. Harson's go-to phrase or word at media days will be compete. Whether that means players competing for positions, whether that means him just trying to get his guys out there to go and compete in games this year that maybe they weren't competitive in over the last couple of years, his word will be compete. That was my answer there. Bo Nix's completion percentage this season will be blank. 62.5%. Wow, that's not as much of a jump as I thought. I don't think it's going to be incredibly significant, but I do think he will progress. I'm going to go 64%. I think the scheme in which Brian Harson and things that I'm hearing is that they are employing a new scheme that is going to help buy him more time in the pocket. It's going to help out the offensive line a lot. I believe these receivers can get open. I think we see a more accurate and, and a much improved Bo Nix this year. I'm yep. going to say a 4% jump for Bo Nix. A more focused Bo Nix. <laughs> That's having fun, man. Gosh, I hate that joke, but I love it so much. 
Next blank here. Between Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Oklahoma, the most likely candidate to not win their conference title this season is blank. So the Titans of college football right now, and then Oklahoma. Ohio State. Ohio State? I think it's the, they're the most likely to not win their conference. And whenever you look at a team like Oklahoma, who who uh, Jacob and I were talk, kind of talking about briefly with you, something that you pointed out, something that I had forgotten about, even though I'd literally seen a stat about it the, the, like that morning, they've won like seven straight Big 12 titles. It's like, that's just, it's pretty darn good. And it's like, while they may trip up in the regular season... They still so, win the title. They're still going to win that title. Ohio State, on the other hand... They've got a plethora of issues that they have both offensively and defensively that they're going to have to figure out before the season starts. And I think there are other teams in the Big Ten that are just as good that can figure it out or get hot that could that could win that conference title game. I'm a little bit more confident in C.J. Stroud than maybe you are at this point. And, I mean, he was like the number two overall pro-style quarterback out of his class. I know he's a freshman, hasn't thrown any attempts, but Ohio State hasn't really been bothered by that. Just insert a freshman quarterback pretty pretty much every year, and they've been just fine. So I, I, I trust C.J. Stroud, and really I'm not that confident in the rest of the Big Ten to actually match Ohio State's speed. That's the big difference in the Big Ten. Ohio State's fast. Ohio State has SEC speed. Everybody else in the Big Ten is, is playing like two times slower. It's like it's slow motion compared to Ohio State and that that when it gets to the SEC uh the ace why am I just bouncing around conferences here the Big Ten title game when it gets to that point I think Ohio State that's why they very much so has the edge now if they don't get there then they can't win it so that's the that's the other thing can someone in their division overtake them and you look to Penn State Indiana I'm, I'm not giving Michigan much of a shot and I'm really not giving Penn State that much of a shot so like is Indiana actually good enough to overtake them and I, I, don't, I don't think so as much as we'd like to believe they are I, I don't think so I went with Clemson I think if North Carolina and Miami, whichever one of them takes the Coastal, they're going to be a 10 or 11 win team. And they're going to have the offense. Both of them possess enough offensive weapons. And really, you know, I don't want to say Derek King's a Heisman quality quarterback, but I definitely believe Sam Howell is a Heisman quality quarterback. I think that's enough to make that game with Clemson very interesting in the conference title game. Yeah, I think that I think that's also something like you uh, like I've hyped up Miami uh, during the course of this offseason and that that definitely is something else that could happen but I will say this about Ohio State maybe I just have underlying bias I don't like them I don't like Notre Dame I don't like Alabama that's not a joke I'm being serious so maybe I'm just like blinded by the fact that I just don't like them and if I'm given a reason to just say like oh they're breaking into a quarterback CJ Stroud's not going to be as good as everybody think thinks he is I'll probably go that route we're going to take a quick break here when we come back we will give you our last blank of fill in the blank Friday and it's about horns down what do you think about it we'll be back in just a moment back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama only about four minutes left of the show until the drive with bill cameron and dan peck as they follow us every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama before we wrap up the show here let's take you through what's on tv tonight Happy Friday, everybody. Enjoy sports and movies as we're going into the weekend. We got Transformers Dark of the Moon on AMC at 7. Some old school Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire is on Paramount at 6. And then don't go looking for the boogeyman. Not good. Bad news for you. I still don't understand, guys. An hour later, since I said this, I don't understand why people are still going after John Wick. John Wick <laughs> Chapter 3, Parabellum, is on Sci-Fi at 6.30. 
Live sports, the basketball tournament gets started. War Ready's playing this weekend, by the way, on Sunday. I think at 11, they're playing the Bucketeers. Just keep up with that. That'll be on ESPN. 64 teams competing for the ultimate prize of $1 million at 6. Team Challenge ALS will take on We Are D3 on ESPN. And at 8, also from the Wichita Regional, Aftershocks take on Expats on ESPN2. So some fun basketball that you can check out tonight. And if you're really missing football, Tim Biaka Batuka ran for 313 yards on Ohio State. That's got to be fun. 1995 Ohio State-Michigan at 7 on ESPN Classic. That's what's on TV tonight. Fill in the blank Friday. Our last blank here. The horns down stuff that the Big 12 pulled out at media days is blank. Uh, Petty. Petty? Petty. Yeah, I think it's childish. I'm trying to think of the right word for this. Um, irresistible is the right word. Like I, I was joking with you I guys like through the break. Well. I think at, at one point players are <laughs> going to be looking at their hands and they're going to be like, they're like holding their hand and be like, don't do it. No, no, no. And then it just breaks down, horns down, like no, and then 15, 15 yards, yards instantly. I mean, like they're not going to be able to hold back from doing it. Somebody's going to do it almost every game unless they're getting abused. But like, I, I think it's soft. I think that's another thing that you can put in the blank, but it is taunting. Just follow me through here. It is taunting, and taunting's a 15-yard penalty. So yeah. if you do it to another Texas player, like it is still kind of following the rules, right? Yeah. It's like Tebow giving that gator chomp, I believe it was during the national title, uh, to, uh, to Oklahoma. I might be wrong on that. Um, might have been at Florida State. I don't remember. I but, just remember him doing it. And, like, it's still taunting. But they did say they could do horns down to their own fans. So, like, if Oklahoma wants to do it to Oklahoma fans. So, now my, here's my question. If, if, if this game is, you know, played in the Cotton Bowl, obviously, as it is every year, and you got half the stadium is in, is in red, half the stadium is in orange, can I just turn to half of the stadium and do horns down and not get a 15-yard penalty? As long as I'm not pointing it in the general direction of a Texas player? I mean, I guess. Yes, I guess. Because they said it probably won't be a penalty. Probably won't be a penalty. Pff, come on now. Come on. Come on. I I, I think I think yeah. Charmin Char- soft is a, is a, is another another <laughs> term for it. I mean, come on, y'all. Come on. It's like like you said. It's irresistible. Like I'm gonna do it anyway. As a as a guy watching a Texas game, like 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 just hanging out with friends, I'm still gonna hit the horns down. Well, I also think it's interesting that they continue to talk about it because it continues to shed light. If you want to stop it. Quit talking about it. People want to do it because you're telling them not to do it. <laughs> the only reason why this is still a problem is because you're continuing to talk about it. If you didn't say anything, everything would probably be It would okay. probably lose its luster, but now yeah. it's irresistible. Now I gotta do it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> it really is. It really is. See, I like Texas, though. So, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hate it when other people do it, though. You know? I don't Baker Mayfield had a great tweet earlier today. I'm sure you guys saw that. I don't hate him, but like, points down. It, 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 it's almost more bad PR for Texas that they're doing this. But we'll see you at Media, Media Days, everybody, on Monday. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.